0: We've uh, been working our way through this series on hospitality, and we're about halfway through now as we seek to understand, talk about, and embrace both a, a practice of godly hospitality and making sure that it is based on God's welcome to us. And we're at this spot right now where people are starting to wonder are, are they doing it right? Can they do this? Will they do this? How can they do this? And one of the things that I think I said in this service, but didn't say in some of the others, is try to understand what it is we're talking about when we talk about hospitality. It really is just this right here. It is ordinary people, people like you and me, doing ordinary things, but doing them with gospel intention doing the things even that we would normally do, but trying to find a way where we invite the reality and hope of the gospel right into the middle of it, that we would find a way to recalibrate our lives, even our our social lives and friendships, to see what it is that God will bring. When Amy and I were in Berkeley, we had some uh, family friends of ours who every Friday night would brown several pounds of taco meat and just say, come. Are you a coworker? You should uh, come have tacos with us. Uh, are you one of our daughter's friends? You should come. Are you a neighbor? You should come. Did you cut my hair yesterday? You should come and have tacos at my house. Stay as long as you want. Leave when you have to. So sometimes people would just drive by, grab a free taco, say, hey, thanks for the meal, and they'd be out. Sometimes people would come, and they would linger, and they'd tell stories, and and they would laugh, and it was all part of them just doing a very ordinary thing, just browning some taco meat, doing it with gospel intention, seeking to express the welcome of God. There's a couple in this church, in their neighborhood, on Wednesdays, they pull out a card table on their front driveway, and they just have declared it happy hour. Four to six, just come. Hang out, play a little bit, talk. We'll tell stories. We'll, um, you know, we have uh, some beverages and some snacks for us. Let's just kind of come and be together. Let's see who and what will come of this time together. Just ordinary people doing ordinary things with gospel intention. But as we've worked our way through this series, one of, the things that I've, one of the things that I've realized is this series also has caused some heart anguish for people. People are pretty sure, well, I, I'm not doing this right. And now they walk around with an additional burden and a sense of guilt and a sense of, of worry about this invitation to live with hospitality purposefully in their lives. I've heard from more than one person, they're not sure, how am I possibly supposed to do this? I I don't quite have the right house, or this isn't the right season, or I, I live in a place where I can't have anyone over to my house, but only kind of in public spaces. And ironically, this call to hospitality has caused great guilt in some people. Ironically, often the people who are already amongst our most hospitable they want to do it more. They want to do it better, but they're pretty sure they don't measure up. See, that's the danger of encouraging us and inviting us to, to take on a new set of practices. Pretty soon, we focus on the practices. Pretty soon, we end up seeking to simply just live a life where we check the box on doing the things that our, our church or our pastor have said to do. We have dinners for eight, and then we prepare meals for others, and then somehow I'm going to have to, like, find a way to invite people to come into my house. Phase one, phase two, phase three. So today, midway through this series, I just want to stop for a minute. We'll probably talk a little bit about the practices again of hospitality, but the thing I most want us to do today is to focus on our King. Let's cast our eyes where it actually belongs. If we find ourselves casting our eyes on a checklist of things and people to invite, then once again we will find ourselves confused and lost. So let's just, let's just start once again with our eyes on King Jesus. Let's just look to him. So why don't we pray, and we're going to spend some time talking about the hospitality of God, and what we might learn from this little parable in Luke chapter 14. Let's pray. Gracious God, there are two kinds of people in the world, those who are in this sanctuary and those who are not. And we thank you that you have gathered this people together, that we might sing your praises, that we might learn something from you, we might be encouraged by one another's company And Lord, together we pray for those who cannot be in this space today. We pray, Lord, that whether they're in Kenya or Vietnam or Russia or right across the street, that your spirit would rest on them. That in a way that would be surprising to them, you would whisper, The feast is ready. Would you come? Lord, we are gathered here together and we pray that you would speak to us clearly, that you would sharpen our hearts and our minds and our imaginations for who you are, which you have declared that is true of us. Bless our time in Christ's name and all God's people said. Amen. Okay, before we read this passage from Luke, I want to sort of walk our way through some of the dominant passages that these Pharisees would have had rattling around in their brain. So Jesus has um, been invited to a feast of Pharisees, <clears throat> and they've had this conversation back and forth, and he has said to them, when you have a feast, invite the poor, the blind, the lame, people who can't repay you. That's at the very heart of godly hospitality. If we're going to echo what God has done for us. And that idea comes from a couple places that that they were pointing to often as a hope and an expectation in the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament. One of those is this passage from Isaiah chapter 25. The Lord says, On this mountain the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, the finest of wines. And on this mountain... He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. God has taken an assessment of what we most need, and what we most need is to be with Him, to know and discover His nourishment. And the Bible over and over and over again says when we get to that day, when we get to the day that's on the other side, what we're going to discover, one of the best ways to understand it is that it's a, a grand and magnificent feast where people of every tribe, tongue, language, color, culture, they will all be in one place as guests of the king. And in the passage, that echoes very close to what we're about to read. This just a couple hundred years before this Isaiah passage is this passage from Proverbs chapter 9. Wisdom has built her house. She has set up its seven pillars. She has prepared her meat and mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her servants, and she calls from the highest point of the city. Let all who are simple come to my house. To those who have no sense, she says, come, eat my food, drink the wine that I have mixed, leave your simple ways, and you will live. Walk in the way of insight. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who know they are simple and those who do not. Come and be fed and nourished. Over and over and over again, the very first thing I want us to know about the Lord as we set our gaze back upon Him and not simply on the things that we do is this. God sets a table That's what he does over and over and over again. Psalm 23, this this thing that we say and pray at almost every memorial, oftentimes under our breath and other times of trial and trouble. You prepare a table for me right in front of my enemies. Right in the place of trouble and heartache and hurt and uh, destruction and chaos, the Lord says, I will nourish you. The Lord sets a table. In the Song of Songs, there's this this little line that says that the Lord has brought me to his banqueting table. He's, He's brought me to this place. And you know what? His banner over me is love. If you want to know what it is that the Lord thinks of you as he brings you? His banner over me, his banner over you is love. The Lord sets a table. which is frankly one of the reasons why we're asking one another to to set a table because hospitality in and of itself reveals the character and purpose and welcome of God. It's a way that we can retell the story of God's gracious welcome to us. One of the things that I've heard uh, a couple times as we've talked about this series of hospitality actions in our church over these last several months is, okay, I'm going to invite a bunch of my friends. You've told me to do it. I'm going to do it. Like, what tracks should I read them? Like, they're there. Like, the, the four spiritual laws, right? Hospitality itself reveals the character of, Of God I certainly do hope that your own deep and abiding love of God is so powerful so overwhelming so sort of bubbling up within you that that your own faith will come up in conversation but I am not going to hand you a tract do you know why God sets the table not me This sheer act of hospitality is intentional hospitality is one of the ways that you can reflect God's welcome out in the world. God sets a table. And this passage today from Luke shows us two more things we ought to know about what it's like to be a guest. So let me encourage you, if you have a Bible with you, to turn to Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 15. Remember what I said. They have been at this table. They've been at this feast already. Jesus has already said to them, when you have a feast, remember to include those who can't repay you. And then he goes on and he tells this story, not unlike, as it turns out, the Proverbs story. When one of those at the table heard 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 this he said to jesus blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of god east so north west south blessed are they whoever is going to be gathered and jesus replied a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master, and then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done. But there is still room. Then the master told his servant, Go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. What do we learn about the Lord? What can we say it's true about our king as we look into this parable? A grand banquet has been planned. It is literally the greatest invite these people have ever seen. What is the invite that you would never say no to? What is the thing? Don't have to worry about travel, don't have expenses, whatever it is. This person called no matter what. You are going to be there. You're going to say yes to this. That's what this meal was like. Everybody knows it's coming. There have been wagons and purchases in the market that have been going on for probably weeks. The smells that are wafting out into, uh, into the city are, are so powerful and pungent and beautiful, it's like, I can't wait to eat this food. Those who first heard this parable would have known that what they are describing was one of the greatest feasts that a community could ever know. They would have been talking on the street about it. Have you been invited? Yeah, I have. Have you? Yeah. What are you going to wear? Well, I bought something new. It's going to be great. People have been getting ready. The day's been on the calendar for a long time. And finally, the servant goes out and says, it's time. You've said yes. It's time. Let's go. Come on. Let's go. But people start to back out. Have you ever done, like planned a really special dinner? Got everything ready. And someone called like an hour and a half before the dinner to say, I'm sorry, I, I can't make it. My my toenails aren't dry. Has anyone said, you know, I'm really sorry, I I can't make it, but I'm still waiting for my jeans to come out of the dryer. That's a little bit what this moment is is like in this parable. Those who would have heard this parable for the first time, they would have heard the, the deep insult with each of these excuses they have rejected the host there is an, a very intentional choice here to not only tell the host we're not interested not only to not come but to to let the host know they're not interested in what they are offering at this meal the guests offer really lame reasons i just bought a field It's not going anywhere. These possessions that you're so fascinated by, they'll be there tomorrow. Well, you know, actually, I I can't. I've got to go try out these five oxen. Would any of you buy the most expensive car that you can personally imagine without test driving it first? The average farm in first century Jerusalem was about three to five acres, and if they were lucky, they had one oxen. The fact that this person has five oxen tells you he's, he's basically farming like the, um, the equivalent of a, of a mega farm, and there's no way he's, he's behind those oxen. He has people. It's a lame excuse. Well, I I can't come to this, this feast, even though I knew it was coming, and even though I'd said yes, because now I'm married. Tonight comes soon enough. Come to the meal. Come to the meal. And here's the thing that I want you to know. As, I, as, I sort of, as we think about casting our eyes on Jesus, the, the first thing that I want us to know together is this, is the king will let us wound him. He has cast out far and wide this invitation that we might actually come to be part of this meal. He said, I want you to Come. Come be part of it. And even though we cast our lazy and lame excuses, he will let us wound him and reject him. Is it possible that you have done something similar to what these excuses seem to point to? See what Jesus seems to be saying is is these these people who've who've been accepted and and taken and sent the invite and then received it, it seems like maybe they have wrongly embedded possessions, work, and relationships into their life. They have allowed those things to take the place of the invite of God. Is that you? There are two kinds of people out there. And one of them is the kind of person that is convinced of their own self-sufficiency. This religion thing is kind of an interesting thing. They come pretty regularly, but what they really, really know is going to be good is the lazy boy next to the fire when it's 12 degrees. They might believe this invitation is out there, but what they're really interested in is working harder to gain the position that they want of work. It might be that the Savior has invited you to be at home with Himself, but you are much more focused on a relationship of the flesh. Is it possible that the invite has gone out to you, but you have convinced yourself of your own self-sufficiency, that you've said no to our Lord and Savior. We hold tightly to these things: possessions, our identity in the workplace, our relationships. And when we say no to God for those things, what we essentially are saying is, is we much prefer their company. They are more important to us. Friends, I want you to know they all waste away. Compared to the eternal feast and the promise that we see in Isaiah, everything you own, every moment of work, Every human relationship will never provide you the hope and salvation that comes at the feast. Are you relying on the wrong thing? Have you set your heart on the wrong thing? I was reminded by um, a preacher uh, earlier this week, That John Wesley once said that the the very last thing to be converted in someone who's seeking to know and follow Jesus Christ, the, the very last thing that begins to echo and demonstrate the character of God's kingdom is your wallet. The very last thing that begins to demonstrate what it is that God wants to do with our heart and our mind and all of our possessions is your actual pocketbook that's the thing where we find, actually, that turns out to be some sort of an expression of that which we really rely on. Yeah, 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 that sounds good. And fat bank account. This preacher went on to suggest that that maybe it's, for us, it's not so much actually money, although it might be, but usually it's, it's what money can actually then do for us that we seek to have be the thing that provides us comfort and a sense of connection and safety. How many of you have ever watched like an HDTV, like home redesign thing? Have anyone watched any of those things? Okay, uh, during the summer, my mother-in-law is like 24 seven on those kinds of shows. So I get a lot of great ideas for a house I'm never gonna build, but it's great. And almost every time at the end of the show, they say something like, and this house its gonna be this great like refuge. It's gonna be so safe here. You can hide out from the world and it's gonna be great. And there's this like aroma therapy toilet paper roll. So good. It's all gonna be safe and sort of like brought in. And what they're reflecting is the worldly idea that your home is going to provide you ultimate and final safety. What the Bible calls that is idolatry. The only thing that can be your refuge is God himself. The only thing that can actually provide you the kind of things you really need all the way to your inner core is Jesus Christ. Have you been relying on the wrong stuff? It's not going to save you. Jesus will let us wound him by, by, um, by choosing these things that don't have lasting value. One little note on this refuge thing. I want to encourage you to think about your home and this moment of hospitality in a slightly different way. The refuge is supposed to provide some sort of sense of, of safety and nourishment and rest and cool from the, the hot days and warmth in the cold days. But what if your home was not a refuge, but you allowed it to become an oasis? It becomes a place where not just you, but others can receive that same gift. See, people would come to an oasis and they'd go there and they'd, they would get... Cool water to drink, a little bit of sh- a little bit of shade from the heat, a little bit of chance for some relationships and connect with others, and then they go out to whatever it is that they were doing. What if you recast what your home is? Just a little. It's not a refuge to keep people out. It's an oasis to let people in. Jesus tells the beginning of this story. He says, there are going to be those who are going to decide to, to wound this host because everybody, everybody's known about this thing. They've known the day. They've accepted the invite. And at the very last minute, they say, no. The second kind of person is what we see in the second half. See, we know that this is going to be a magnificent, huge, ginormous party because after he receives all of these rejections, he's like, okay, go find every beggar on the street. Go find every lame and blind person. Go find everyone who's needy and poor. You bring them into my house. Lord, that's happened. House is still, there's still room. He's like, okay, then here's what you do you go outside the city, you go to the suburbs. And you find those folks and bring them in. The ones who don't live in the city's core itself, who are out there somehow, you, you bring them in. Those who are out in the country lanes and out there just a little bit, maybe who are traveling, you bring all of them in. And here's what the hearers would have known that maybe we, would have, we might have missed. There's no way those people would have wanted to come. And they wouldn't have wanted to come because they weren't ready. They didn't have the right clothes. They didn't know the right people. They weren't connected to the community. They didn't have the right kind of resources. So they didn't want to come. And this is the other thing I want you to know about Jesus. He will always set your self-assessment aside. He will always set aside... Always listen to what we've got and set it right aside. He takes your no and says, that's really interesting. I don't care. I didn't come to you thinking you could repay me. I didn't invite you thinking you actually could bring me anything. This is not a potluck. I don't want your Cheeto marshmallow salad that your mom gave you. I have laid out the most magnificent feast of all time. And I'm telling you, I want you to come to my table. Don't reject me because you feel like you're not worthy or able. Duh! You're not! The Bible is so clear that the vision He has for our life, we will never be able to accomplish without Him. The only way we accomplish it is when we are in Christ, when our host is living with us and in us. So stop waiting to get it right before you know that you are a guest. For those of you who have been feeling guilty about not measuring up to this this, um, hospitality standard, it's okay. Jesus says, I know. Come. I want you to come. I know your story. Did you catch it in the Isaiah passage that we read earlier? Here's what's going on with all those people who um, are at the table in Isaiah. The Isaiah passage uses words like, those who are at the table are disgraced. They are teary with shame. They are heavy laden with death. They are shrouded in confusion. And guess what? They are at the table. The king has set aside your self-assessment. If you think you're not worthy of the table, it turns out your self-assessment is right and he doesn't care. Come. There are two kinds of people in the world. Those who have made a self-assessment that they don't need to come because they got it all figured out. They got their own stuff. They're good. And there are those who are nervous to come because they know they don't measure up. The Lord says, come. In this passage that we read from the Proverbs, we are simpletons. Those who have been invited, they lack insight. They're not sure where they're going. They, they don't have the um, light for their path. God still calls them to himself. Come. It's not unlike when you try to invite someone to your house. Like, why don't you just come over, have a beer and some brats in the backyard. Like, oh, no, 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 I, I couldn't possibly come. We're not, we're not ready. We're like, we'll just be coming home straight from work. It's like, I know. It's okay. Just come. Well, you know, my wife, she's soaked, she's just exhausted. It's been a most brutal week, and I know. Just come. It turns out our back porch has a chair. Will you just let me feed you? Will you, let, will you let me let you see something of God's welcome? Well, I, I couldn't possibly. We're like, we're like, we're just like, I know. Just come. The, the table's been set. The meal's gonna be ready. Set your self-assessment aside. Say yes to Jesus Christ. I wonder in this room, I won't take a survey this time, which one you are. If you dig and drive deep into your heart, are you the kind of person who has really subtly essentially said, God is interesting, but my possessions are reliable? Are you the kind of person that said, "Is well, religion is basically kind of good for sort of its, its value education for my kids, but the most important thing is my kids? Are you the kind of person that has said, you know, I do this because I meet interesting people and sometimes I make work contacts, but the most important thing is the fact that I am a successful person? Have you rejected the invitation of Jesus Christ? Have you wounded him by not coming to his table? He will let you. Or are you the kind of person that is so heavy laden? have such a great sense of your own degraded worth? Are you the kind of person that um, replays that conversation over and over and over again that you had um, even this morning in the atrium, and you replay how worthless you really were in trying to help that person out? The lord says i see who you are and i'm totally uninterested in that what i want is you at my table i set that aside because that's what god does it is all grace friends this is the lord that we serve he's the he's the one who breaks all the rules He's the one who sets up an invitation where we can actually um, be a guest by grace and not by earning it in some way. The king sets aside all of our inadequacies and creates a new kingdom. And he wants you to be in it. I wonder, which kind of person are you? Lord, we come before you ready to be led by you. Would you work in our hearts that when we hear the invitation, we would come. We would not give lame excuses of how great we've already got it or lame excuses for how we should never measure up. Let us receive the gift of your hospitality with joy.